This anointed teaching by Dr. Beverly Volmerans comes to you from Christian Family Church International. Father, we praise you, we worship you, we adore you. We bless, Father, as we stand before you tonight, we want to thank you for giving us the precious Holy Spirit. We want to thank you, Father, for our salvation. And tonight we come to worship and to praise and to magnify your name. I thank you for giving me the precious Holy Spirit. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you'll rise up big within me now, that you'll think through my mind and speak through my lips of clay. And I declare that I'm a servant ready to be used by the Master. I thank you that I'll speak your word clearly, accurately carried by the wind of the Spirit. I thank you for a fresh anointing. I thank you for a fresh revelation. I thank you for building up your people, edifying your people. I thank your people be encouraged tonight, Father, that they will get a, a fresh understanding of your love for them. And I thank you tonight, Father, we will hear your word, but Father, it will go into our hearts and into our spirits. And we at Christian Family Church, we're not only hearers of the word, but we doers of the word. And everybody said, Amen. That's me. And you may be seated. You're welcome to follow my husband and I on Instagram. So take out your phones and follow us if you want to be encouraged on Instagram. You know, I'm so sorry to, to tell you, but I heard about a terrible accident. Did you hear the, about the politicians, how many of them died recently in a, at a bus accident? It happened in Texas. This bus full of politicians, Brother Kenneth, they were going down the road. It was dark night. The rain was coming down. It was so slippery. So the bus driver couldn't see, and he crashed the bus into uh, multiple trees. And, and the politicians, they, there was so many, such a, a great crash that the politicians, many of them died. But the farmer on whose land the bus crashed came out to see if he could help. Well, he found so many politicians, they had died. And then he said, well, the coroner is not here. It's far away in Texas. I better start digging a hole and, and burying the dead politicians. And so the next day, the sheriff came and said, Farmer, where are the bodies? What did you do with them? And he said, no, I buried them all. He said, are you sure they were all dead? He said, no, some said they were alive, but you know how the politicians lie. <laughs> he says, I buried them all. <laughs> And the title of my message is, God will restore to us what the locust has eaten. Lean in. Listen, my children, to a story just like I tell my grandchildren. They love to hear stories. Are you ready for your story? Well, how many of us know that East Africa is the epicenter of the locust crisis? Ethiopia, Uganda, Kenya, Somalia are a few of the countries that are affected most by these most destructive pests in the world. Well, in America in 1874 became known as the Year of the Locust. Late one July morning, a 12-year-old girl by the name of Lily Marks, she watched as the sunlit dim, a peculiar darkness swept over the Kansas sky, like hail and rain, the locusts fell from the sky. 
120 billion hungry insects were hell-bent on ravishing the plains of the farmers of the USA. From Dakota to Montana to Wyoming, Colorado, and all the way to Texas. The farmer says that the locusts ate everything but their mortgages. As the locusts landed on the houses, the fields, the trees, the skies cleared. But the real devastation began as soon as the locusts began to devour the fields of crops, the leaves of the trees, the fields, that every blade of grass was eaten, even the wool of the sheep was eaten, even the harnesses of the horses were devoured. The locusts picked clean the watermelon patches, stripped the fruit trees, leaving peach pips dangling from empty branches. Having ravished the fields and the trees, the locusts then decided they were going to invade the farmers' houses, clearing out barrels and going to the cupboards, devouring anything that wasn't hidden in metal or wood containers. They even shredded the curtains and the clothing. A New York Times correspondent wrote from Kansas, they work as if sent to destroy. Doesn't that sound like the devil? The locusts of 1874 infested a projected 2 million square miles. The swarm was estimated 1,800 miles long and 110 miles wide. The settlers tried to destroy the locusts by lighting fires, only to watch helplessly as a sheer mass of insects smothered the flames. Ultimately, all defenses proved inadequate, as the locusts far outnumbered the humans. So to avoid starvation, many of the settlers, exhausted from the fight, abandoned their homesteads and their dreams of a brand new life and a hopeful tomorrow, and they decided they will return east. One man wrote, I've lost all here, and somehow I believe I will find it again. Furthermore, he continued, I have a child buried on my land, and my ties are here are stronger and more binding on that account. Many settlers also moved away because they knew that the locusts had now laid trillions of eggs, and they knew that the next spring the eggs would hatch, and the devastation and the destruction would repeat itself once again. So they left and moved away and left all their hopes and their dreams of a better and a brighter tomorrow. Somehow, there were some settlers that had made up their minds that no matter what, they were going to stay put and they would have a brighter future. They would have a better tomorrow for their family and for their children. And they would beat these little beasts of the field. So in the spring of 1875, the trillions of eggs were now about to hatch. But the story goes that a late snowstorm and a hard frost blanketed the areas by the locusts and the cold killed most of these immature insects. But now, the farmers had no seed to plant their crops. But however, the nation heard about it and people responded with overwhelming generosity and kindness. People sent money, they sent supplies, they sent seed, they sent food, and the railroads often hauled all these items free of charge. Now, not only did the farmers have seed to plant for their crops, they had seeds for their orchards, but they also now had all the land and the farms that the other farmers and the other settlers had abandoned. 
So they planted on these fields. They doubled their size of their farms. Everything they needed was given to them for free. They had so much more, and they were given supernatural seed and food and clothing by generous people that they never knew. They were restored completely, and this is a true account. You can go and read about it yourself. But the question I want to ask us today is, will we be like the farmers who run away when trouble and difficulty come? Are we going to give up? Or are we going to be like the farmers who stood strong in the time of adversity and ultimately reaped far more than they ever lost? The message that I have for you and for me is that God wants to give back to us what the devil has stolen. And I decree and I declare to you tonight that people are going to give to you that you don't know. That God is going to supernaturally give to you so you'll have seed to sow, food for, uh, to eat, and clothes to wear, and your children will be taken care of. Because God wants to take care of each and every one of you. He loves you so much. The truth of the matter is family locusts will come, storms will come, difficulties arise, we know that, and, and problems come from the father of lies, Satan. The Bible tells us that Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And I want to ask you tonight, what has the devil stolen from you? Has it been your dreams, your desires? Has it been your calling? You feel you've called to evangelist, you've called to be a pastor, You've called to start church, you've called to be an apostle, you've called to be a soul winner, but somehow something happened in your life and you feel it was stolen. Do you feel like you've backslidden and the love of God has gone cold? Do you feel he's broken you down because of life has happened? Do you feel that you're far from God? Do you feel he's trying to mess you up, mess up your emotions? Has he tried to make you think of thoughts of suicide? Has he stolen your resources? Has he stolen your family? Has he stolen your marriage or tried to steal marriage, your children? Has he tried to steal your health? Well, I've got good news for you tonight that God wants to restore everything to you that the locusts and the devil have stolen from you in Jesus' name. So we're going to look at Joel 2.25. It says, so I will, say I will, restore to you, say the years. Say the years that the locust has eaten. The New International Version says this. In Joel 2.25, it says, the New International says, I will repay you for the years that the locusts have eaten. Now listen to this. Repay is a verb. It's a doing word. It carries on. So to repay means to pay back. The Lord means to go on receiving from the Lord so that the Lord's inexhaustible goodness may be magnified. So the Lord wants to pay you back so that His inexhaustible goodness may be magnified. Hallelujah. Everybody say yours. Say God is going to restore back to me. The years that the devil has stolen. 
Some of us have lost years of healthy living. Some of us have lost years because we've been in the wrong relationship. Some of us have lost years because of our own bad decisions, our wrong choices, our, our dreams have been sabotaged. Perhaps you feel like you've wasted so many years and you feel, I want to give up. Perhaps you feel it's too late to begin again. Perhaps you feel, will I ever find love? Maybe you feel broken inside. You feel, will I ever be whole again? But God says, I will restore the years that have been stolen from you. How many of us have friends and neighbors and family members who, because of lack of knowledge, they think that they will never get back what was stolen. They say they cannot get, they cannot get over the years that have been stolen from them. They still live in devastation of the decisions that they've made, the mistakes. And they say to you, I will never recover. I'll never get back to how it was. They say too much water has gone under the bridge to restore my broken world or my relationships. How many precious people get stuck in their problems? Some, unfortunately, blame everybody else for the chaos they're in and the, because of the choices they made. And then say, some say, I can't believe where I am today. But I want you to tell them something, family, that God loves them and there is hope. And hang in, tiger, because God is going to restore back to you every single thing that the devil has stolen from you. So let's have a look now. At Sam, 2 Samuel 4. In 2 Samuel 4, 4, Jonathan, the son of Saul, had a son who was lame in both feet. He was five years old, and I've got a, we've got a grandson who's uh, almost five, and, and so I understand, and we've got a grandson who's five, so they're so small and they're so adorable. And he said, but he was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. So his nurse picked him up and fled, but as she hurried to leave, he fell and became disabled. His name was Mephibosheth. So why do you think his nurse fled? Well, she received the news that the Philistines had now conquered Israel, and that King Saul and, and Jonathan and all his brothers had been killed in battle, and everyone knew that now David was going to become king, and they assumed that David would execute all of Saul's family because of the 13 years that Saul had chased David and lied about David and forced him to live in a cave like an animal. So they thought that David was going to execute all of Saul and Jonathan's family. And so therefore the, the nurse picked up little Mephibosheth and fled to a town called Lodibar. Lodibar is a place of nowhere. It's in the middle of the sticks. It's in no it's where Skilpert Freck van Doors. It's nowhere. It's in the middle of the boondocks. It's so far. It's like a nothing burger town. It's partialist. Nothing grows there. We can say it was like a desert. It's hopeless. It represents hopelessness. It represents despair, gloom, misery, despondence. Now, you can get all the story out of my husband's book, The Blood Covenant, because I did, but I just paraphrased it. But many years later, David became king and he accomplished his goals. And now he begins to think of his friend, his wonderful friend, Jonathan, that he had a covenant with. And he wondered if there was any of Jonathan's family that was still living. And so uh, David asked in 2 Samuel 9, 1, is there anyone still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? 
Because now David is thinking covenant terms because he had a covenant with Jonathan and he wanted any of Jonathan's descendants to benefit. Number three, it says, the king asked, is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba was Jonathan and Saul's servant. And he is alive and he answers the king and he says, there is still a son of Jonathan and he's lame in both feet. So now remember, Lodibar is a place of hopelessness, but it's a place where the son of a prince, a grandson of a king, was living. A place where he was existing, just barely getting along. And we know that Mephibosheth now, he's, he must be older, but he's just lived there since he was five years old. He's done nothing. He's got no friends. He just looks out the window and maybe shuffles around. He has no future, no plans of a, a better tomorrow. And he knows about Saul and he knows about Jonathan, his dad, and he knows about David and how Saul ridiculed David. And so he thought that if ever David found him, he would kill him. But David's heart was to restore everything back that was taken from the heir of Jonathan. Now picture the scene. Jonathan's son is paralyzed. He cannot walk. All he can do every day is sit in this little house and look outside. He had no plans for tomorrow, no plans of the future. And one day he's gazing out this little window where nothing is happening, and he sees a dust storm forming, and he wonders, perhaps is this a swarm of locusts? Is this a swarm of locusts coming to devour what there isn't anything to devour in this place? But as the thunder of the horse's hooves and the sound of the chariot wheels reach him, he realizes this is not a, a swarm of locusts, but it's David, King David's army. And he, he says, oh, the king has finally found where I live. But can you imagine a few moments, dozens of chariots arrive at his door and, and they burst in and they say, oh, you Mephibosheth, and he must probably trembles. And he said, yes, yes, I am. And they pick him up and, and they put him in their chariot and they take him to King David, who has been anxiously waiting for him. The soldiers put Mephibosheth at the feet of David and Mephibosheth bows. And David says, don't be afraid. I'm going to surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. But look, family, I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul. And you will always eat at my table. I want you to imagine, I've got a wild imagination. I want you to imagine that king's table. I want you to imagine the most expensive cutlery you can ever think of. I can imagine gold plates, silver crockery, the most best uh, flowers, the glassware. Everything is just absolutely immaculate and beautiful and it's over the top and it's extravagant. Someone took Mephibosheth and took him and showered him and, and they dressed him in royal clothes and now he's dressed like royalty. He looks like royalty, but he doesn't feel like royalty. He must have felt inferior. He must have felt afraid. He must have, have felt intimidated. He must have felt, I'm a failure. 
I, I, I shouldn't be here. I don't belong here. I'm not worthy of all this. I've grown up in poverty. I've grown up in the wrong part of town. Perhaps he's thinking, well, nobody at this table likes me. I mean, because these are all David's sons, and they all know that I'm the son of my grandfather, Saul, and my father's name is Jonathan, and they all know that my grandfather tried to kill King David. They tried to, he tried to murder him for 13 years, and he made him live in a cave like an animal. So he must probably think, I'm not worthy to sit at the king's table. But that is just like the devil. He wants to lie to us to tell us we are not worthy. But I've got news for you tonight that you are worthy, family. You know, when we turn 40, our 40th celebration, Pastor Raul will concur with this until I'm telling the truth. We had a pastor from Cuba, and we invited the pastor to our 40th celebration here in Johannesburg. And we invited him to a special evening dinner that we have every night. And the table settings were extraordinary, beautiful, and elegant because it was our 40th and we went over the top. Our Cuban pastor felt inferior. He had come from extreme poverty and he didn't think he was worthy to dine at our table. And I told Pastor Raul, Pastor Raul, you tell him we set this table for him. He is our brother. He is a son of the living God, and he belongs at this table. And he is welcome to eat with us. Just tell him to remember, start from the outside with your cutlery and go from the outside and work in. But he was worthy to sit at our table, and you are worthy. You know, family, if we don't know who we are in Christ, we will always feel inferior. But then Mephibosheth remembers King David's words when he says, I will show you kindness for covenant's sake. He remembers the covenant. He realized because of the covenant, he has the right to sit and eat at the king's table. He has the right to enjoy the pleasures of the palace. He has the right to be protected by the armies of Israel. He has the right to enjoy the freedoms it, as, a, as much as David's son enjoys the freedoms. Everything that was taken from Mephibosheth was restored to him, including his dignity, his worthiness, including lands, homes, including food, including clothing. Listen to this. Do you know Ziba, who was Saul's and Jonathan's servant? He was told, he, do you know how many sons Ziba had? Fifteen sons. They didn't have TV in those days at all. So he had 15 sons. Do you know how many servants he had? He had 20 servants. And now Ziba, his 15 sons and 20 servants were given to Mephibosheth so that he, they could take care of Mephibosheth for the rest of his life. That is called multiple acceleration restored. Right? Glory to God. And so everything that was lost in Mephibosheth's life was restored. But you know what, family? There's so many beautiful, amazing Christians that are living way below their privileges and their rights in Christ Jesus. There are many Christians living in poverty and sickness, oppression. Thank God today every demon was gone in the name of Jesus. 
But many Christians are living in loneliness, inferiority. Many are suffering with mental disorders, fear, confusion. And the reason is they don't understand that they have a covenant with Almighty God. They don't realize that God owns everything. When we get born again, we are in covenant with Almighty God. When Jonathan's son came to his senses, he realized that David the king and his father had that everlasting covenant. He understood he was the heir to the kingdom. And everything that was stolen from him was restored a hundredfold. The years that the locusts had eaten, that the devil had taken from him, he was repaid a hundredfold. And I'm here to declare, whatever the devil has stolen from you, God is going to pay you back, repay you to show his graciousness a hundredfold in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God wants to repay you back everything that the devil has stolen from you. Romans 8, 17 says, and since we are his true children, we qualify. Say, I qualify to share all his treasure. For indeed, I am an heir of God himself. Family health is ours. Wealth is ours. Joy is ours. Happy homes are ours. God is a restorer, and he wants to give back to you everything the devil has stolen. It is time for the church of Jesus Christ to stand up, wake up, go into the enemy's camp, and get back everything that was stolen from us. Hallelujah. God wants to restore our finances to us. We can confidently say, come on, Cape Town, come on, San Antonio, come on, Johannesburg. Let's say this to me. Let's say this with me. Devil, give my finances back in Jesus' name. So I command you, loose my finances. I declare I'm prospering in Jesus' name. Say hallelujah. Listen, family, God wants to restore our health back to us. We do not have to live in pain. We do not have to be sick. We do not have to be miserable. That is not our inheritance. Our inheritance is health and strength. Say this with me. I am fit. I'm strong. I'm healthy. I'm able. I will walk. I will not be weary. I will run. I will not faint. I'm determined to eat right. I'm going to exercise. I'm going to speak right. Stand up now. Stand up now. Stand up now. Stand up now. Now, come on, family. We're going to move our bodies. Let's twist again. Come on. Let's twist again. Come on, move your body. Everybody twist again. Move your body. Come on, move your body. Come on, twist. twisted and moved last summer, we are in trouble. Say this with me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Say, I cancel in the name of Jesus the spirit of premature death that is trying to cut my day short. I destroy your plans against my life in the name of Jesus. I live in divine health. Glory to God. Hallelujah.
Praise you, Lord. God wants to restore our relationships. So we're going to go back in the enemy's camp, and we're going to take back what he's stolen. So say this with me. Satan and demons, I command you to desist in all your maneuvers. Cease in your activities. Against my family. Against my relatives. In the name of Jesus. I take, my, I take back my children from the world, from your camp. You may not have them. They belong to God because I have a covenant with Jesus. So I declare they are serving the Lord with all their hearts. I see them in church. I see them restored. I see them loving God. I see them on fire for God. Say glory to God. Say hallelujah. Say hallelujah. Say hallelujah. My children are blessed on the earth. Hallelujah. Yes, Cape Town, say it. Come on, San Antonio. We're going to say it strong. We're going to believe God for restoring marriages. The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy relationships and marriages. But we're going to take back our marriages. Come on, we're going to say it strong. Let's say this. Satan, I bind you from interfering in my marriage. I bind strife and division. I bind every devil of hell trying to interfere in my relationship. As a wife, I submit to my husband. As a husband, I love my wife. I'm not harsh with her. I live with her in an understanding way. Now let us say we, love, we are more in love now than ever before. Let's say we forgive each other freely. We give no place to the devil. And every assignment against our marriage is destroyed in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. 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 Glory to God. Family, there is no time for spiritual laziness. Don't lie down and take what the devil tries to steal from you. Don't allow him to destroy you. Don't allow him to destroy your destiny. Don't allow him to destroy your call and the purpose for which God put you on the planet. For we know John 10, 10 says, The thief does not come except to steal, except to destroy, and except to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus said, I've come that you might have a life and life more abundantly. So to live the victorious, abundant life, we've got to fight the good fight of faith. How do we fight the good fight of faith? Apostle Theo told us we fight the good fight of faith by speaking it out of our mouths. I told you about when I uh, spoke about how to deal with the devil. And if you haven't heard my message, get it. You can get it on YouTube. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram. <laughs> But I told you about Ram, John Ramirez. I hope I got that right. But when he was a Satanist, I told you about how he served the devil for many years. But he was taught that one of the devil's most effective weapons was persistence. He learned that being persistent when using his evil powers would weaken his opponent and fragment the fight. And the story of, Sa of Samson and Delilah is a great example how Satan tried to steal and destroy Samson's assignment, his anointing, and his destiny, which was given to him before 
the foundation of the earth. I want us all to realize that God has a plan and a purpose for each and every one of us. And from the beginning of time, before the foundation of the earth, God thought about you. He's got a plan for you. He's, it's written in a book. And this devil will try and steal your destiny and steal the plans and purposes for God. But we are not going to allow him to steal our destiny. So God singled out Samson for a destiny of greatness, just like you have been a singled out for a destiny of greatness. In Judges 13, we read about the angel of the Lord appeared to Samson's mother and said, you have no children, but you will have a conceive and you'll bear a son. And he told her that her son was not to drink any wine. He was going to be a Nazarite. He was not allowed to cut his hair. The Bible says no razor shall come on his head. He was called to deliver Israel out of the hands of the Philistines. Israel had fought, fallen away from God and it was handed over to his enemies, but God in his great mercy and his great love for his people raised up a deliverer by the name of Samson. Samson was the physically the strongest man that ever lived at that time, and he was, had, definitely had a supernatural anointing on him. Although he was strong physically, he was weak spiritually. Although he had potential, he blew it. He compromised his faith, and he refused to take God's calling and purpose on his life seriously. He also had uncontrolled anger. The Bible tells us that anger gives a mighty foothold to the devil. He was like the Christian who wanted to see how close to the fire he could get without being burned. He lived an undisciplined life. You know, successful life doesn't happen by accident. A successful life is because somebody is disciplined. If you look at their daily habits, you'll find out if they're a successful person or not. Because a successful person has a plan. A successful person de uh, decides what they're going to do the next day. It's not come see, come saw. It's not whatever will be, will be. He also had a weakness for women. There's many times in the Bible we see about his extraordinary strength. Remember when the lion attacked him, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him and tore the lion apart. This was definitely a display of supernatural strength. Remember he caught 300 foxes and he tied their tails to, in pairs and he fought, then he lit their, their, he lit their tails he, with a torch and they went on fire and then he let the, the foxes go and they went into the standing grain of the Philistines. And he burnt up their vineyards. He burnt up the olive graves, groves. He was like a one-man army. And he infuriated the Philistines. And there was an incident when he got a jawbone of the donkey, remember? He killed a thousand Philistines. Oh, that is a good job, Samson. <laughs> and as a result, the Philistine hated him. Even though, listen, family, he was a recognized judge of God's people. Say he was a man of God. He was a man of God. He had the anointing of God. But he threw caution to the wind and visited a harlot. He put himself and all of Israel in a vulnerable position. Although he was anointed, he refused to take his call seriously and he flirted with sin. 
When we flirt with sin, we put ourselves in a very vulnerable position for Satan to destroy our call and our anointing. The Bible says this man of God fell in love with a prostitute who actually was a puppet for the Philistines. They promised her money if she could just find out where the supernatural strength came from. What followed was a campaign of deceit, deception, and lies, just like a typical Jezebel. Satan will put a campaign against you, and it'll be a campaign of deceit and lies and deception. We must be aware of the Jezebels, the Delilahs, and the Ahabs in the church. What looked beautiful on the outside was wicked on the inside. And Samson fell into the trap. This lure of sin is a deadly trap. It's a trap that's going to destroy our destiny, our lives, and it's going to above all waste precious years. The story goes, she wooed him with her sweet talk. She put on her best perfume. Her hair was beautiful. She sounded sweet and loving, but her heart was dark and deceptive. She was destructive and wicked. Her words were like the hiss of a snake. She was seductive. <laughs> Why are you laughing? <laughs> hey? The hiss of a snake. How many times <laughs> does she try to tell him where does your strength come from? Men, we've got to wake up. Men, you've got to wake up. Not every pretty shiny thing is a godly thing. Not every little thing that looks like a chocolate box is sweet inside. Yes, I will preach. You know, it's true. Remember, men, remember this. The woman you marry will bear your children. She's going to train them in the ways of the Lord or... She's going to take them away from the ways of the Lord. And she'll, you'll have a miserable life. Now, women, if you marry a sweet-talking man, oh, and some people, some men's lines are so pathetic. Like I dropped my drink when I saw you owe me a drink. What about, you must be an angel, you fell out of heaven. <laughs> Women, we got to wake up. You know, you want to marry a man 
that number one is going to serve the Lord with his whole heart. And number two, he must financially be able to take care of you. Don't fall for sweet talk and nothing in the bank. Now, it's true. You've got to marry a man who's got wisdom with money because he's going to take care of you. He's going to take care of your children. You don't want a sickle. Look at me. Don't I look good? <laughs> you know why? I waited. I waited for the right man. I prayed and asked the Lord, Lord, you send me the right man. I will want your choice for my life. And I said, Lord, I don't mind waiting because I don't want the wrong man. I don't want drama. <laughs> I'm sorry to tell you, I said this to my husband in all honesty, from the humbleness of my heart. I said, baby, if you marry me, but can you afford me? I did, did I? <laughs> I don't want to go to secondhand shops and buy the secondhand dresses. No, and nor do you. Anyway, I shouldn't have got all over this, but I just want to say choose wisely. Now, my husband and I have been married 45 years. Every day, I tell him, you're the love of my life. Every day, I tell him, I'm so proud to be your wife. Every day, I affirm him. Every day, I'm kind to him. You know why? Because I want our marriage to be good. He is not my enemy. I'm not fighting him. Why must I fight him? If he wants to do something and I don't want to do it, you know what? I do it. You know why? Because it pleases him. So what is marriage? Marriage is giving 100% of yourself to that person, and they give 100% of themselves to you. But you'll only find out when you're married, you've got to give all of yourself. That means, and you know, people say, oh, Pastor Bev, you know, I just wish I had a different man or I just wish I had a different wife. Let me tell you something. As I am in my young years, I've come to realize everyone is strange. <laughs> everyone has issues. Everyone is peculiar. Everyone. I am very happy, a lot of energy. It's a lot for somebody to look after, take care of. 
My husband is so calculated. You know, it's... <laughs> you know... You know, when we go to the airport, I'm beep beep the roadrunner. I, I, I get my stuff, I'm ready to go, I go through security. My husband is still taking his stuff out. I'm through security, I'm on the other side, and I'm already at Starbucks having a coffee. I say, I'll meet you at the coffee shop. <laughs> he comes along slow, steady, sure. But you know, the good thing about him is he likes the same old, same old, same old. So he's never going to change me for anybody else because he likes the same old, same old, same old. <laughs> Don't think there's somebody else better than your husband, your wife. Appreciate what you have and build on a solid foundation and romance each other. You know, I tell my husband, I shouldn't be telling you this, but I say, come, let's go dance. And we dance in the bedroom. That's what I like to do. I like to dance. So he won't dance anyway, but he dances with me in the bedroom. <laughs> I must get back to my notes. Let's go. <laughs> Forgive me, Lord. I'm going to forget my husband. <laughs> We were on Delilah. <laughs> okay, I'm going to cut it short. <laughs> Am I okay? <laughs> I wonder if they'll be dancing tonight. <laughs> Forgive me, Lord. Okay, now I'm going back here. <laughs> oh, Lord, help me. Okay, we got to the place where it says the devil's strategy is persistence. So Delilah was persistent. She was calculated. She never gave up. She nagged. She pestered. Eventually, he told her the truth. So she betrayed him for money, just like Judas would betray Jesus for money. The Philistines, as we know, they, they wasted no time. They shaved his hair off. They bound him with chains. They gouged out his eyes. He was betrayed by someone he loved. Have you been betrayed by someone you love? He was betrayed by someone who didn't love him back, but used him for her advantage. They took him to Gaza. They bound him in chains. They put him in prison. They forced him to grind grain like an animal. But the good news is, family, that God never gave up on Samson. And God will never give up on you. And God gave Samson a second chance. And God is going to give you a second chance. And when he was in the prison, he had a lot of time to think about his wasted life. And he said, Lord, I'm sorry I've made a mess of my life. I didn't obey you and I'm miserable. And I'm sure he repented and said, Lord, give me a second chance. Restore my anointing. Restore my calling. Restore my destiny. Restore to me everything that the devil has stolen from me so that I will fulfill your plan and your purpose for my life. So not only was Samson's anointing restored because his strength uh, and because his hair began to grow, but his relationship with God was restored. 
We know the Philistine leaders, along with 3,000 men and women, they had a feast. They wanted to celebrate their false gods. They wanted to bring Samson out they could, uh, so he could perform from them, for them. But Samson positioned himself between two great pillars of the temple, and then he called on God, and he said, Lord, O oh Lord, my God, remember me. I pray, strengthen me, I pray, just this once, O oh God, that I may take one blow, that I may with one blow take vengeance. I like one blow. He didn't take two blows, three blows. One. And then he pushed against the temple and the pillars. And then he brought down the temple upon himself and the Philistines, and he killed more Philistines in his death than in his life. It was the greatest victory in his life, which is amazing. But the thing that amazed me the most about this whole story is how God restored to him everything that was stolen. But not only that, God put him in Hebrews 11, which is the hall of faith. Can you see the mercy of God? It doesn't matter how we mess up. It's when we say, God, help me. I'm sorry. When we repent, he's going to restore everything back to us. We expect Abraham, Noah, and Moses to be there. But there's a guy who makes it into God's hall of fame because he repented and God restored his strength and his anointing. And you might say, Pastor Bev, I've blown it in my past. You might be um, haunted by bad memories. You feel like you've made a mess of your life, wasted your years. You wonder if God can restore to you everything the devil has stolen. And the answer is yes. God will restore to you everything that the devil has stolen from you. Or if we need to repent, let's do it. Remember, family, you are the apple of God's eye. You are the head and you're not the tail. God loves you. Isaiah 61 verse 7 says, instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. Instead of your disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. So you will inherit a double portion in your land. And everlasting joy will be yours. How many of us are ready for the double portion of our inheritance? How many of us are ready to take back what the devil has stolen? Well, can we pray? I want to pray for you. Stand up, San Antonio. Stand up, Cape Town. I want to pray over you tonight. Can we pray together? Let me pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you. I'm praying for you right now. And Father, I thank you for authority we have in the name of Jesus. And I remind you, Satan, you are under our feet. We are seated in a position of authority in Christ Jesus. We come against every devil of hell, every evil spirit, every witch, every warlock that has been assigned to destroy our families, our churches, our cities, our nations. We destroy your plans against us in Jesus' name. We command you, Satan, to give back everything that you've stolen. You give back our health in Jesus' name. You give back our families in Jesus' name. You give back our finances in Jesus' name. You give back our marriages in Jesus' name. We take back peace. We take back joy. We take back sound mind. We take back our vaccinated children. We transfer them out of the kingdom of darkness. And we put them into the kingdom of God. We take back tonight our God-given assignments and destinies. We take back our lost destinies in Jesus' name. Now say this with me. I declare I am blessed 
I'm filled with God's wisdom. I have promotion. I have restoration. This is a new season. This is a new harvest. I fulfill my assignment. I receive a fresh anointing to follow me today. I walk in all the blessings that God has for me. Praise God for restoration, acceleration. Restoration, acceleration. Give the Lord praise in the house. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. That was totally awesome, wasn't it? Wow, praise God. That was incredible. Only my wife could uh, get away with that. Uh, I learned something tonight that Samson killed those people with the jawbone of a donkey. I always thought it was the jawbone of his mother-in-law, but she... So, uh, so I'm glad I figured that out tonight. All right. Well, now, look, uh, we're going to sign books at the back there after I dismiss you. And tomorrow, our speakers are in the afternoon. Pastor Steve, Dr. Steve Barry. Okay. Apostle Patrick Maluzzi. And Apostle Shiko Abswami. And then I'll be taking the 4 o'clock uh, Holy Ghost meeting. And then uh, tomorrow night... I have a very, very powerful meeting message for you. The best message of the whole celebration from my side. I know I can't compare with my wife. She knocked it out the park. But it's going to be my best message for the celebration tomorrow night. And um, we're going to celebrate. Our, it's going to be a party night. We're going to put up 7,000 balloons in the ceiling. And we'll drop the balloons. And we've got some huge ones as well. Uh, so we're going to have a great party here tomorrow night. Don't miss it, and we won't keep you late. Plus, bring all those who need prayer for miracle healing. Miracle healing night tomorrow night. Right here. Whatever their need is, bring them to church. All right. Every head bowed, please. Every eye closed. Let's get you out of here. If you want to know Jesus, you want to know you're going to heaven, if you want to know that you are a child of God, I'm going to pray for you right now. And you'll receive Christ as your Lord and Savior and know that you're going to heaven one day. So please, when I count to three, if you'll slip your hand up, they'll indicate to God that you want Him to give you the assurance of your salvation. Are you ready? I'm counting to three. One, two, three. Put your hand up right now. I see those hands. I want the assurance of my salvation. All right, now somebody's coming to put their hands on your shoulders. Keep them up now. Keep them up. And to let you know we love you and Jesus loves you and we're going to make sure you go to heaven and not to hell. Praise God. You see the demons are real? There are a lot of them waiting for folks in hell right now to torment them. And you don't want to go down there. All right. So, praise the Lord. Wonderful. A whole bunch of folks with their hands raised. All right. I invite everybody to say this prayer with me, please. Do we have folks over here to help these folks? Okay. I see some people coming. All right, everybody say this little prayer with me, please. Especially you that have your hands raised. Let's pray together. Dear God in heaven, thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for me. You punished Jesus for my sins so I can be forgiven. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Please forgive me for my sins. Come into my heart. 
save my life. Thank you, Jesus. I declare Jesus is my Lord and my Savior, and I will live with you live for Jesus with all my heart till I see Jesus face to face in heaven. Praise God. Thank you for joining us during this episode of Living Life with Dr. Theo and Bev Volmerantz. We hope that through this inspired teaching, you had an encounter with God. If you enjoy the teaching ministry of Apostle Theo and Dr. Bev Volmerantz and would like to enjoy more resources, we hope you will visit our website at www.christianfamilychurch.co.za or for our American listeners, www.christianfamilychurchsa.com. Thank you.